This is Barry Weinman, co-founder and managing director of Allegis Capital. Join me in watching Carrie and Evan on Greater Good TV. Greater Good TV is proudly presented by Central Pacific Bank, fiercely loyal banking. Greater Good TV, with your hosts Carrie and Evan Leong. Leaders inspiring leaders. A place where financial profit and social responsibility go hand in hand for Hawaii's greater good. Today's special guest is Barry Weinman, founder of the Weinman Foundation. Welcome to our show, Barry. Thank you. Thank you. So, Barry, how would you define your job of venture capitalist? Well, principally, we raise money, uh, usually in a blind pool. We might raise that money from large corporations, wealthy families, endowments. And then we try to find entrepreneurs that have incredible ideas and have talent. And we invest in those entrepreneurs and try to help them build their companies and make them very, very successful, including becoming global companies, including becoming public companies. So basically, we're coaches. Uh, and we're also facilitators. Can you give an example of maybe an entrepreneur that came in, uh, kind of how it went, and boom, they went IPO or got a good acquisition? Well, one of our best success stories is a uh, company called Extreme. Uh, it's a gigabit ethernet company. Uh, the entrepreneur had uh, been part of a, a prior startup that was successful. Uh, there were a lot of gigabit ethernet companies started in Silicon Valley. This was around 1997. But he had a different idea. His idea was to go outside of the U.S. and find customers who were non-U.S. customers and who wanted the same kind of uh, technologies that U.S. companies did. Uh, that was, for us, a unique approach. Uh, we backed that company, and when he went public in two years later, he had a $14 billion market cap. And from scratch. Did he target where he wanted to go out of the U.S.? Well, usually people look at the U.S. market um, as a very large market and a safe place to start. The rest of the world includes Asia, Middle East, Europe. His idea was to go into Europe and Asia with large corporate partners. So here at Allegis, at our venture fund, we have uh, 33 major corporations who are our partners, two of which were Fujitsu and Siemens. So he talked to Fujitsu and he talked to Siemens and co-branded his product when he only had four employees in the company. So he had brand and distribution in Asia and brand and distribution in Europe, and he built that company to $500 million a year run rate in his 24th month. But he, he was already good before he started, right? He was a VP of marketing at a company that had uh, gone public, it was a company called Network Peripherals. Uh, he was ready for the next step. Prior to that, he had been in some microsystems. So he was coming up the process of developing business acumen. He started in sales, he start, then he went to marketing, then he went to a public company, and then he became CEO of what be, today is a very uh, well-known public company. So that seems like a kind of a normal progression. What about someone who went through just the immediate progression? Maybe they didn't have the same background and all of a sudden, boom. Yeah, well, that happens a lot in the internet. If you look at Google, uh, basically you're dealing with two PhDs who came up with a better way of doing search. At our venture fund, we looked at about 200 search companies. Uh, and we couldn't find reason to invest in any of them because they weren't unique. 
these people uh, at Stanford, where they did their PhD work, uh, found a better way. They found something that appealed to the, uh, the sweet spot in the audience. Simplistic, very focused, and quick. And that worked. So zero to now a $150 billion market cap company in less than 10 years. So how did you get started being a venture capitalist? Well, I started on the, the other side. I was an entrepreneur. Uh, together with my wife, Virginia, we built a software company in the 1970s. Uh, we were quite fortunate. We merged it with a larger company and had a public offering. And from that, we were able to take some of our own personal money and begin making angel-type investments. And then in 1980, together with uh, a couple of other people, we launched a venture fund, very small at the time, $19 million. Uh, today, a $19 million fund uh, wouldn't even be listed in the venture capital directory. When you went um, IPO, what made you want to invest or be an angel investor in other people's company instead of continuing to invest in yourself and maybe starting another company? That's an interesting question. And, and, and some people come down on both sides of the equation on that. Uh, there are serial entrepreneurs who will go back and do the next one and the next one and the next one. Uh, hopefully, maybe They're you sick. will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they didn't get enough punishment the first time, no. so they're going to go back and get punished the second time. Uh, on the other side of the coin, people who have gone through that process have a very valuable learning experience. It's not book learning. It's real practical experience. And it's hard. It's very hard to go from a startup through all of the funding processes, uh, through uh, building your business big enough. Usually it has to be more than a single product. It has to be more than just a single market in order to be a successful public company. And what you do is you learn an awful lot. And if you're inclined to want to share that, you tend to go into something like angel investing or venture capital investing and leverage yourself that way. So instead of doing one more startup, I mean, I've been involved in over 70 public companies, not personally, but through our venture fund, and we could never do that as an individual. Has there been a difference that you've seen from the first company that you took public to the 70th company? Has it gotten easier? <laughs> Actually, uh, currently, it's harder. Uh, in fact, the United States is going through a period now because of Sarburns Oxley uh, where it is very difficult to go public. And the U.S. capital markets, the, the uh, NASDAQ, which is the public market where most technology companies go, has lost its lead to the London Exchange, the A market in London. They're losing it to the Hong Kong Exchange and to the Tokyo Exchange because it's too difficult now for a young company to go public in the U.S. Over time, that's ebbed and flowed, but the basic principles are still there. During the bubble, if you can remember that, people took companies public on concepts, not real businesses, and that's why the bubble burst. And you see a little of it again, especially in places like China where there's a very big bubble. But by and large, if you do it right, if you're focused, and if you build real businesses, the process of going public is the same. Coming up, Barry shares the traits of a successful entrepreneur. I do. I work at Earthlink. I believe internet good can defeat internet evil. The world without spyware, viruses, or online identity theft. I believe in a place where our information can be safe. I won't stop fighting until we get there. We work at Earthlink. And we're making unbelievable things happen every day. It's time to start believing. Earthlink. 
we revolve around you. Order now and get Earthlink for $29.95 for six months. Hey, did our banker get back to us on those ideas to streamline our cash flow? Yeah, that's what I thought. Maybe we need a bank that actually cares about our business. And I've got Grace working on payroll, because I'm going to need it for... You're not going to believe this. Do you know any good business bankers? As an entrepreneur, and then you've met quite a bit of entrepreneurs, what are the things that make the successful entrepreneur successful and the unsuccessful ones unsuccessful? Well, that's the hardest question for any uh, prospective investor or co-founder or employee. Um, I liken it to uh, the difference between a great entrepreneur and a charlatan. A charlatan is somebody who has great enthusiasm, has a wonderful idea, and can convince almost anybody to go along with them along that process. A great entrepreneur has to do the same thing. The difference is a great entrepreneur is de dealing with something real, whereas a charlatan is dealing with something phony. So the entrepreneur has to have great passion and has to really believe in what they're doing, and they have to be able to convey that message to everybody that they're involved with their employees, their customers, their suppliers, and their investors. So we look for that as, is this the kind of person that can motivate and build teams? Is this the kind of person that will listen to their customers? Is this the kind of person that wants greatness? But then, but then in the, in, when they come in and pitch you, right? We had talked a little bit earlier and you said, man, in the, in, in the beginning stages of that pitch, you kind of have an idea already. So what are the indicators that are, are telling you whether that person is the type of person you want or the type of person that maybe is not a good match? Well, if you step back and say, how do you build a public company? And what are the issues of building a public company? The job of the CEO becomes very clear. The job of the CEO is to provide the resources for everybody else in the company. And the CEO is the only person who can do that. Because investors who invest in the company give the company the ability to acquire the resources, whether that's people, facilities, equipment, uh, parts. and when you look at somebody, you have to determine, is that the kind of person that will be attractive to people to invest in? And people want to invest in people that they like, that they believe, so there's a level of trust and honesty, and that they can uh, understand 
no matter how complex the business is, understand it simply, and then believe can this person execute. So we focus, and I, and I specifically focus, on is that person capable of doing those things. They may be better engineers in the world, they may be better salespeople in the world, they may be better marketing people in the world. That's fine. That, that entrepreneur can hire them. He does not or she does not have to be the best in that case. What they have to do is they have to be able to tell the best story. You talked about an entrepreneur being similar to a leader. I was thinking, comparing it to a CEO. Do you oftentimes have the, un the entrepreneur's idea, then do they take that CEO position? Well, you know, that, that's the, the give and take between venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. The, the issue is that an entrepreneur can come from many different uh, walks of life. They can be doctors, they can be lawyers, they can be engineers. And they may be very good at doing what they do with their idea. They may, but they may not be very good at fundraising. They may not be very good at recruiting. They may not be leaders. So that's when you have to make the tough choices and say, does that entrepreneur have to be the chief executive officer? If somebody wants to build something really big and successful, then that should be their goal. And they should get the best person to do that. And if it's not them, then they should find somebody else. If they go to venture capitalists, by the way, that's a decision we make early in the game. And if we find that the entrepreneur is not willing to listen or at least consider uh, bringing in somebody stronger as a chief executive officer, we probably won't invest. Is that really hard for them to take that type of feedback? In some cases, it is. We were the original investor in Palm, you know, the, 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 the personal digital assistant. And Jeff Hawkins, who is a scientist who studies people's brains, was the designer of the Palm device, thinking about how do people store information about their telephone numbers, addresses, and those kinds of things. But he was not a good manager. And so he was not only asking for venture capital money, he was asking for venture capital help in recruiting. And we recruited Donna Dubinsky, who was at Apple at the time, and she was running Claris, the database company, into Palm. And they made a wonderful team. And they've been a team. Uh, they did Palm, then they did Handspring, and now they have a new company focused on, on the brain. And they've worked well together for many years because he recognized that wasn't his strength. So in your opinion, can entrepreneurship be taught? or you have to be born with it? Uh, <laughs> it reminds me, uh, I took a sales uh, course in school, and the question in the sales course was, can salesmen be taught, or, is, or does it have to be, or they have to be born? And in the sales school, they obviously think they can teach sales. Well, I thought you had to be born, so I got that question wrong. However, in the philosophy school, uh, or the philosophy course I took, they believe that people are born certain ways. So I decided to change my answer because I was wrong in the sales department. And I said, no, you have to train them to be good salesmen. And of course, in the philosophy department, that was wrong. So I got, I got the same question wrong twice, even though I changed the answer. And I think that's pretty much the same here. Um, I think you can teach the tools to entrepreneurs so that they can learn certain things about building their business, about raising money, about compensating employees, about focus. Um, but I almost think it has to be in your gut. 
or at least a willingness to take the risks of being an entrepreneur. Because basically, when it comes down to it, entrepreneurs are risk takers. And some people just aren't. And they shouldn't try that. Uh, although trying it and failing can actually be a great benefit. And then you can use that experience wherever you go. Are you finding any common similarities or differences between entrepreneurs worldwide? Uh, that's interesting. I think there's some cultural dishes, issues that you have to deal with. For example, uh, in China and in parts of Southeast Asia and Japan, there's a tendency for an entrepreneur to want to own and control their own businesses. In the US, the tendency is to build teams and share the ownership and share the responsibilities. That's a fundamental difference because in, in a lot of the Asian countries, you're betting on one person and that's difficult. Uh, in the U.S., you're betting on a team, so therefore each person doesn't have to be strong in areas other than the area that they function in, and I think that's easier. But in general, um, they all want pretty much the same thing, success. When we return, Barry shares advice on giving back. Remember that you probably have been helped by people to get where you are and don't turn your back on that and try to help people uh, to make a success out of their lives and that's probably more rewarding than making it out of your own life. Hi, I'm Richard Lewis, CEO of Core Systems Hawaii, Hawaii's data storage experts. For over 18 years, we've been helping businesses protect their critical data with enterprise IT systems. We've seen all types of service interruptions from power outages to simple human errors. Core Systems now provides a local disaster recovery managed service utilizing our experience in storage and server virtualization. Call us at 440-5000 to ensure that your data will be there when you need it most. Find the job you've always been looking for in the Star Classifieds, where Hawaii's top companies advertise. Working in the food and beverage business for 15 years, I was looking for a change. I opened up the Star Classifieds, saw the ad, and it was the best move there for me. The midweek is a paper I look in all the time and recently heard over the radio of the Star Classified ads. So where do you think we'll be 20 years from now? Be right here working on this lawnmower. Do you think we're saving enough for retirement? Well, maybe it's time we find somebody to help us. Maybe it's time we buy a home. Do you believe anything is possible? I do. I work at Earthlink. I believe internet good can defeat internet evil. A world without spyware, viruses, or online identity theft. I believe in a place where our information can be safe. I won't stop fighting until we get there. We work at Earthlink. And we're making unbelievable things happen every day. It's time to start believing. Earthlink, we revolve around you. Order now and get Earthlink for $29.95 for six months. Could you tell us about the Weinman Foundation that you and your wife started? 
Well, my wife and I started the Wyman Foundation in uh, 1998, and you know, if you look at the Bill Gates and Melinda Gates Foundation, ours is the same thing except we have a lot less zeros than they have in the amount of money we have to spend. And what we focused on were things that were important to us, and that's principally been uh, education, children, uh, abused children, and what we do is uh, we look at about 10 to 15 proposals a year, and we tend to focus in on one or two of them. So we focused at UH, on at the business school and at the medical school. Uh, my wife's on the board of the Children's Alliance. Uh, she takes an active role wherever we invest, so we just don't write the check. We try to get involved and get our hands a little dirty. Have you always been involved in nonprofit work, or was it once you know you went public with that company? Well, it's hard when you're a young entrepreneur to to put money, cash is king at the time, uh, and also time because entrepreneurs are pretty busy, 24/7 type of a life. Uh, but in the back of our minds, we were helped by a lot of people, and we always said someday we're going to do the same thing back. And our goal was, uh, when we were financially able, we would help at least entrepreneurs. So that's part of our work at the uh, uh, Pacific Asian Center for Entrepreneurship at UH. And part of it was to make sure that kids who were maybe disadvantaged got a better chance. So I grew up in a pretty rough, poor neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York. And uh, very few people made it out of there. And I said, someday, hopefully, we'll be able to help kids make it out, maybe from not the best environment. What message could you give the younger people who are building their careers to encourage them to get involved in nonprofit organizations? Well, I think uh, most young people that I've talked to say, well, I don't have the money and I don't have the time. And that's true. Uh, but what they can do is they can do things like, for example, uh, a number of the young entrepreneurial companies in Hawaii, they donate some equity. So, for example, uh, Dustin Chindo at Hoku has given 25,000 shares to the University of Hawaii. Patrick Sullivan at Hawana has given uh, 50,000 shares to the University of Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii Biotech has given shares. Now, those shares uh, aren't cash out of their pocket, but what those shares have done, in, in Dustin Chindo's case, when his company went public, that turned into about $150,000 for the university. That can create projects, it can create uh, programs, uh, it can involve the people at Hoku back into the university so that they can participate in those programs. So they can be doing things that help their company at the same time, and yet at the same time it's not cash out of their pocket, and it, it, it's somewhat of an interest to what they're thinking about. You mentioned in, in your maybe childhood that you had some rough times. What, was there a turning point for you or a kind of a defining moment? Um, yeah, I, I've got a, a scar here which uh, cut a vein, and uh, I was. Uh, this was in a gang fight, and uh, my dad afterwards said to me, "You know, um, if you want to die at an early age, you just keep this up." But um, he had a struggle. He, he was a depression baby. Uh, he said, "You know, you've got to." take a whole different perspective on life. This is, the, you're on the wrong path. And it, it, it had an impact on me. I, I, I went from being a terrible student to being a pretty good student. Uh, 
and uh, eventually even being a, a very good student. And I began to understand what education can do and how it can change uh, your perspective on things. And um, the Navy, again, helped by um, discipline. Um, um, I got more discipline from my wife, so that helped. Uh, and I think uh, when I look at it, my, my father declared bankruptcy had a business that went bankrupt, but he did not declare bankruptcy. And I was 13 years old, and I couldn't understand if he would have declared bankruptcy, he would have been in a position where he didn't have all these creditors coming after him. And he said, I'm not going to do that. He said, I'm gonna, it may take a long time, but I'll pay them back. And we didn't have very much money, but he did pay them back. And I, and I learned from that. I, I looked at that, and I said, if he can do that under these conditions, I was 13 years old. Um, you know, I, I got to get my act together. Do you have any last advice for our viewers out there? Well, take a chance. Um, so that's risk, right? And uh, have confidence in yourself because uh, if you have confidence in yourself, it rubs off. Other people will have confidence in you. If you don't have confidence in yourself, then that also rubs off. Um, it's worth taking risk and it's worth failing because through failure you learn. And great things can happen if you, give, if you put yourself in a position for those great things to happen to you. So do it. Well, thanks so much, Barry, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, Carrie. And thank you for joining us today on Greater Good TV. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodtelevision.com. Please join us again for another episode of Greater Good TV. Greater Good TV has been proudly presented by Central Pacific Bank. Fiercely Loyal Banking.